0: because we can't continue to allow China to rape our country, and that's what they're doing. It's the greatest theft in the history of the world. Welcome to Asia Rising, the podcast of La Trobe Asia, where we discuss news views and general happenings of Asian states and societies. I'm your host, Matt Smith. On November 8, 2016, the United States will vote for their 45th president. We are roughly six months out of this, and of the day of recording, Ted Cruz has withdrawn And Donald Trump is all but assured to become the Republican nominee and from that he's shooting distance from being the ultimate victor. Observers worldwide are watching with trepidation as the combative and abrasive candidate gathers support from the American voters. Perhaps none more carefully than China who Trump directs many of his remarks towards with a particular desire for stronger trade negotiations. Here to discuss who would win in a Trump v. China arm wrestle is Professor Nick Bisley, Executive Director of Latrobe Asia. Thank you for joining me, Nick. Nice
1: to be here, man.
0: So, in the conversations that we've had, I think, over about close to a year now, every time we sit down and discuss American politics, you've been, no, Trump won't get in. No, Trump won't get in. And this morning, you have said to me, Trump's going to get in.
1: I I said Trump will get the nomination.
0: But that's further than you've ever admitted before. And at that point, I got scared. (laughs) If Nick's a convert...
1: I'm not sure I'm a convert, but better people than I have been completely flummoxed by
0: Well, Well, how, how much of a surprise is it and how how worried is the rest of the world at the moment?
1: How much of a surprise? It's a big surprise. I mean, it's a Division I, Grade A surprise. Probably the biggest surprise, or the people most surprised by it, are Republican Party grandees who are appalled that this guy is going to be the standard bearer for the Republican Party in come November. The conventional wisdom about... His constituency, the professionalism of his campaign, his personality, his nastiness has all been turned on its head. Mm. Um, And he's benefited from a bunch of circumstances that have surprisingly played in his favor. So a very big Republican field, which meant that you didn't actually need to have a particularly large plurality of the vote to clean up on delegates in certain states. He's tapped into a degree of frustration and anger. He's a celebrity candidate. Of the highest order who's a division one grade a social media presence and knows how to instinctively work that he's realized ahead of anyone else i think the the power of the brand to appeal to people so close analysts of this would say his ceiling is you know x percent of the republican primary vote and as the primaries have gone on the ceiling has gotten higher and higher and now there's there's no ceiling and the small research that's gone on into it so far has shown that he does have this core of kind of white working class nativist sentiment, as the phrase goes, that supports him. But there's a whole bunch of other people who are coming in and often reasonably well-educated people go, yeah, I know he says all this stuff, but he doesn't really mean it. And what what he's going to be is a good, strong leader of the United States. So it's, he has thrown in some respects the rule book out the window. That said, there's also some fairly conventional things going on, which is as the field has winnowed, the leading candidate with momentum tends to Surge away with momentum, and that's what's happened over the past few months. Um, he's also benefited from the most tremendous media fascination with him, free advertising he's getting because of you know podcasts like this to <laughs> you know um, and a media that loves replaying some of his crazier, more outlandish things that he says, which he loves saying. I think this is in many respects going to rewrite the presidential playbook. I'm mm. um, not to say we'll see necessarily another Trump. We hope there's only one of these kinds of candidates, because there's some pretty nasty stuff about his candidacy. But I think the way in which you can position yourself as a presidential contender, how you can cut through, you do not have to be beholden to the old rules. Mm. The world stage in particular is is looking at him very carefully
0: and thinking, okay, if he's president, what is he going to make for us? This being Asia Rising, we're going to concentrate on China because he's particularly antagonist towards China. So let's look at a couple of his claims uh, as they are. Is China an actual threat to the United States and their place in the world, or is this just a convenient case of Trump finding reds under the bed?
1: I think there is a, a sort of sober case to be made that, certainly in Asia, China does present a pretty significant challenge to influence that America has, has had in the region for the past 30 or 40 years. You know, Asia is the place in which the US has been the dominant power, and I mean that both militarily and economically. You know, the US was the biggest consumer of Asian... Um, economic goods and the biggest investor in the region for 30 or 40 years, as well as the most important military power. And China is, I think, under certainly under Xi Jinping, not particularly hiding the fact it no longer wants to live in a region in which it is beholden to the United States. Mm. Um, so I think in that sense, China does present a challenge to the US. What
0: about as far as stealing jobs? He's particularly concerned about economic growth.
1: Yeah, and here here you see a pretty standard critique of china that appears in presidential elections i mean it it has a especially vituperative and colorful language around you know trump and he uses a pretty crude language to describe it but you see variations of china has taken advantage of us jobs that used to be in detroit are now in china that sort of thing
0: it's raping our country
1: yeah exactly the reality is yes that's occurring in the sense that low low labor cost jobs from the united states have shifted they've shifted not just to China, they've shifted all over the world. A lot of them have shifted to Mexico as well as China. They're actually shifting out of China as well though now, aren't they? Well, yeah. and, And as certainly in the East Coast of China, they've been there for 20 years, these jobs and the labor costs there, as the sort of laws of supply and demand dictate, those labor costs are rising. And so- if you're a manufacturer that can move your stuff around.
0: You're looking for the next cheapest country. Next, yeah. And
1: it's, a lot of it's in Vietnam now. Probably not likely to see that move off to places like Myanmar before too long and the east coast of Africa yeah. as these places become more politically settled. So what people like Trump often forget or willfully ignore, because in some cases they know what they're saying and they're just taking advantage of it, is that jobs leaving the United States doesn't mean net negative cost. In fact, quite the opposite. So consumer goods in the United States and in Australia and many other countries have never been a lower cost to buy. So that your $100 that you earn, that $100 will buy so much more stuff now than it would have done 20 or 30 years ago when it was made in America or made in Australia. Mm. And certainly in the US, the the biggest single problem with, with the labor market in the US with unemployment is not Chinese you know, globalization taking jobs to China. It's been a self-inflicted financial real estate bubble that's caused by a lax regulation of the banking market i e that's what triggered the global financial crisis and it's got almost nothing to do with american manufacturing jobs going to china so despite the fact that he might be
0: you know spouting incorrect intel what is his likely action going to be what do you think he's going to do when it comes to china and foreign policy He's going to strong-arm um, them
1: at least, isn't he? I think whoever wins the next election, will you'll see a more muscular approach to China, militarily speaking. And this is where, if you look at what Trump says about Obama, in foreign policy terms, he's playing straight out of the orthodox Republican playbook, which is Obama has uh, he's been weak in the face of our enemies. He's given away our advantage. He's frittered away what we've been doing. He's made us more vulnerable to ISIS or whomever. Uh, and he's kowtowed to the Chinese and exhibit A, all of those islands that they've been building in the South China Sea. If we had President Trump, they wouldn't do it. They'd pack them up and go home. Um, and I certainly think whoever wins, and it's you know, it's going to be Hillary Clinton. He said confidently, um, <laughs> "You're going to see a more muscular approach." Now, the question with Trump is that this is a guy so far who feels no compunction to be held to what he says. Even in the standard realm of politics, where we know they all lie like crazy and don't have no remorse about this, this guy is out the other side in terms of say one thing and do something completely different. Uh, What you have to assume is that firstly, he will realize the limitations of the office and the reality of the limitations of American power. What are you going to do to the Chinese? Are you going to firebomb them? Are you going to start a a nuclear war? Don't give him ideas. (laughs) Yeah, but realistically, he's not actually going to do this, the man is an irrational. He he has a sort of crazy demeanor. One interesting thing he says that you see floating around um, some of the more hairy-chested Republican circles is this idea that America should be more unpredictable. Mm. This is the Richard Nixon theory that by acting in ways that difficult to predict, so domestic audiences might be uncomfortable with. So you bomb civilians, you will not turn up to meetings that you're expected to turn up to, you just behave in a way that's just hard. Do you think you're not quite sure quite what they're going to do? Um, he thinks this is going to give America a big advantage. He may well do this. And certainly the, the standard school of negotiations is you, the one thing you keep secret is what it is that you actually want. Mm. Because once someone knows exactly what you want, then they can work on you. But I think... The realities of the limits of American power, plus the fact that there's a big machinery of government there that has a fixed way of doing things, is going to probably trim most of the more excessive aspects of what he's going to go and do.
0: The New York Times asked him how he's going to combat Chinese assertiveness in the South China Seas. And uh, I'll read the quote here. I won't attempt to do any voice. He said, we have great economic, and people don't understand this, but we have tremendous economic power over China, and that's the power of trade. Because they use us as their bank, as their piggy bank, they take, but they don't have to pay us back. It's better than a bank because they take money out, then they don't have to pay us back. Now, I think that is kind of insinuating. He's he's kind of... (laughs) He's vaguely said that he's going to apply trade tariffs to China.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you can follow the the actual logic of that, you're doing well. Yeah, but But nonetheless, I I know what you're getting at, which is what sort of leverage from a trade point of view can the US exert on China? I I sent you his policy statement, Mm. and
0: he said in that 45% tariffs on Chinese imports, that's what he's going to Mm. bring And He's also going to Mm. declare China currency manipulators. That's the first step.
1: Okay, let's go to the first one first, then the currency one second. You slap punitive tariffs on Chinese trade, you do two things. One is you start a trade war, which is, experience shows is demonstrably um, a bad thing in which everyone loses because prices go up, quality goes down, political competition is exacerbated. So that's a really bad idea, unless you would like to have lots of unemployed Americans, lots of costs going up in the United States, inflation going up. This is a really bad idea. Uh, And on the currency manipulation again this is old this is old hat the, the sort of noisy republicans have been saying this for a while the general th- charge is that china uses the value of its currency to prop up cheap exports so that the argument goes americans lose because chinese government artificially keeps the currency low to give their exporters an advantage it certainly has been true in the past you know if they floated the currency and stayed out of the currency it would probably appreciate a little bit but not a great deal yeah, you know, there's lots of big market forces at play, um, and one of which is that China is the biggest single purchaser of United States Treasury bonds. So it loans the United States enormous amounts of money. Some critics say that you know, the Iraq War was paid for by Chinese lending. Some people argue that it's not the U.S. that has the whip hand over China economically speaking. It's China that holds these massive Treasury bonds, and if they dumped the value of the Treasury bonds on the markets, the U.S ability to raise credit on global markets would be severely constrained because the price would go up. Mm. The reality is they've got kind of mutually assured economic destruction. They're hugely invested in one another's economies. So, t- so even as a threat. Both yeah. sides will lose and yeah. lose very badly. So my sense is that for Trump, this is bluster. This is the usual, I mean, business. He'll get in there and suddenly realize how difficult and complex the relationship with China and in, in which there's no simple, easy answers where you can be strong and tough and show them who's boss, and they'll go home with their tail between their knees and, as the phrase goes, make America great again. It's, it badly misunderstands the, the reality of it. Trump does become president. Is that a good thing for China? Would they want Trump or would they want Hillary Clinton? That's an interesting question. I mean, I think the appeal of Trump to certain parts of the Chinese government, and in particular uh, the propaganda department of the Communist Party of China, they love Trump. And they love Trump because he is exhibit A in what's wrong with democracy and why you don't want to have democracy because Germany was a democracy and they elected Adolf Hitler. Italy was a democracy. They elected Mussolini and so on. Democracy is a bad thing. And Trump is sort of straight from central casting in that regard. Um, if you were sitting in Beijing and looking at, you know, are we going to have to deal with President Trump? I think the concern you'd have is that unpredictability. Mm. And I think that would be a real issue for China and that sense of we've built up a kind of playbook in managing this relationship over a long period of time and the extent to which that would remain in place or not and what would follow from that. Um, But neither China nor the United States want to fight one another, but if the US takes a much more combative stance towards China under Xi Jinping, China is not going to take a backward step, particularly in areas like the South China Sea, which it sees as its own and a core interest to it. Um, where the United States, it would say, look, United States, you're a long way from home. This mm. is not your territory. Mm. The only way that you are present in the region is either through alliances. So Japan, Korea and the like could give you bases or you've got some imperial colonial leftovers like Guam. You know, this is not your patch. And so I think the risk from Beijing's point of view is a Trump presidency could very easily escalate what's already a bit of great power rivalry into outright contestation, from which the sort of mistakes of, as you know, you've got ships and planes bumping into one another, metaphorically speaking, actually start literally to do it, and then you get these escalation cycles that things can get ugly really quickly.
0: From a case of predictability, maybe, or continuity could be a better word. They would prefer a democratic victor out of this over I think Trump. So, yeah. yeah. But what about for the from the standpoint of? Trump becomes president, he could make decisions, he could change things so that America is weakened. That is also in their benefit.
1: That's right. In, in the sense that, you know, if you do get these trade tariff barriers going up, if you get some of the more isolationist stuff predominating, if you get a serious recession in the United States on the back of some some of the more bonkers economic policies he talks And I, about, and I guess
0: just reputation.
1: Yeah. And you get this credibility issue. I mean, more yeah. than anything, um, the US has a lot of- relationships where its credibility is, is an important part of its presence in in, in Asia and elsewhere, um, then a Trump presidency could provide a lot of opportunities for China. I think at the moment, the general view in Beijing has been that the Obama administration is about the most moderate administration you're likely to see anytime soon. So let, let's make hay whilst we can. So that's what's behind the building of the islands in, in the South China Sea. Incidentally if Putin thinks similarly that Obama is, is going to present about as weak a response to Crimea and elsewhere. So now's the time to to take these steps. Right. Yeah. But equally Trump could come in and really stumble really stumble badly and mm. provide an environment in which China might feel actually emboldened and, and push further. That's why I think, you know, if you're if you're sitting in Beijing, the balance of probabilities is a uh, Hillary Clinton you know how to do business with. And unless you're the sort of more assertive end of the military and the like that wants to constantly push, you know, the, the general thinking in China is one of history's on our side. Over time, we are going to get bigger, more influential, we're here, is going to play to our favours. The most important thing to do is just to manage the relationship with the US over time in a way that's going to avoid all of the, the, the risks and tensions. And someone like Trump presents a very difficult and hard to predict manner of dealing with this. If you're an American diplomat right now, posted around the world, the first and last thing anyone ever asks you is Trump. Yeah, Um, and it's you know, and it's this. And they first they say, "How is this happening?" And then they have the, "Are you going to quit if he (laughs) if he wins?" Um, That said, like I was saying earlier, the American government is big. The, The Department of Defense is one of the largest organizations in the world of people. There's a National Security Council. There's a State Department. There's all of these things that I think are more than likely to ensure that, even if we have a President Trump, the worst excesses of his instincts are probably going to be curtailed. But you know, he's the Donald.
0: Well, that's all the time we've got for today. All hail our future overlord Trump. It's goodbye from Professor Nick Bisley.
1: We're an independent sovereign
0: country. Thanks, Matt. It's goodbye from myself, goodbye. You can follow Nick Bisley on Twitter, he's at Nick Bisley. You can follow myself on Twitter, I'm at Nightlight Guy. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to it on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please leave a review there, tell your friends about it. Reviews help our ratings and helps more people find this podcast. Thanks for listening.